Hello and welcome to the Nutrition with Rebecca podcast. This podcast is designed to empower you with the knowledge to live a healthy and happy life, to banish the years of yo-yo dieting, heal your relationship with food, make lifelong changes to your health by learning evidence-based nutritional techniques with self-compassion, mindfulness and behaviour change to feel more accepting and confident both in your mind and your body. We'll likely be adding a little bit of feminism, some sass and some humour along the way. I hope you enjoy and thank you for tuning in. Good morning, everyone, my favourite human beings. I hope you're okay and having a fabulous Friday. You can clearly tell from the tone of my voice that your girl has slept, slept very well the last few days. Hallelujah. I know you're all praising the Lord. Me too. Me too, babe. Me too. (laughs) No, I'm feeling good. And I was saying this to somebody just yesterday, maybe the day before. I know it's absolutely Baltic at the minute here in the UK, but it is stunning, absolutely stunning. And sure, if this cold lasted an entire 366 days, because this year is a leap year, then I would probably have a little bit more to say about it. But for this short, acute time, the cold, the crisp and the beautiful blue sky. Oh, my God. I'm here for it. I am here for it. I've got my blind up. The sun is beaming in. I'm like, yes, absolutely. Yes. So another live Q&A. And let me tell you, incredible questions this week. Incredible. Gosh, I'm so excited for these. Um, Do I have much to say? Yes, I do have something I want to say. I do. And actually, I sent an email out about this this morning. And weirdly, it's only just nine o'clock and there's been quite a lot of reactions to said email. I mentioned a lot that diet culture is making a comeback, right? The, there's the fixation on body image. And unfortunately, media really portray this in magazines, in articles, etc. But collectively, as a society, we have got to do better. We have. We have got to stop commenting on people's bodies like it's a fucking free-for-all. And we forget the significant implications psychologically that opinions, comments have on people. And we have this association that a weight and a shape equals health. And we brush over the multifaceted, multidimensional puzzle of health. We give disservice, discredit to not only the person who is receiving said comment, but actually the recognition of what health really is. And I am done with it. Absolutely done. And don't get me wrong. Many, many years ago, if I saw somebody who had lost weight, I would have openly said, oh my gosh, you look great. Well, like, what, what have you been doing? But let me tell you, I made a choice some years ago to stop that. To stop inviting those comments into myself. And to stop outwardly, whether that is just in my head or using my language, commenting on people's weight. 
because it also portrays this notion that our weight and shape is the most important thing about our entire existence and that we have to fit a narrative that is put on us from the blueprint of society to be accepted worthy enough. Like you'll talk about my body when it changes in a way that is societally acceptable. No, thank you, Karen. Absolutely not. I am fed up with it. And of course, the stage of my journey at the minute, for whatever reason, has invited more unsolicited comments. And with that, I'm making a stance right now. And I want you listening to this to just check in with your thoughts around people's bodies and how you approach people. Like I would never say to my best friend who I think is absolutely beautiful, oh, your body's changed. Oh, oh, you've lost weight. Oh, oh, you've put a bit of weight on. I wouldn't dare say that because I see her for so much more than she is. Same with my partner, my family, my other friends. I would never comment on their bodies. And usually what we see, and this is me going back 10 years now, when we're talking outwardly about bodies, it's a projection of our own insecurities within our bodies. And it's because perhaps we're not satisfied with our bodies that we then invite conversation about other bodies or we put people down in other bodies because again, we feel inferior in our own. And it's nothing to do with everybody else's body weight and shape, it's to do with your own. And if you see a pregnant woman, I'm just gonna say this, keep your opinions to yourself. I have genuinely had seven comments and I have not long let people know about this absolutely beautiful, joyful chapter that we are going through as a family. Seven comments on watching out for stretch marks. Now, coming from a person who was 140 kilos and was obese at 13 and was overweight throughout adolescence, teenage, early, mid-twenties, I have a lot of stretch marks. I have stretch marks and excess skin that have been demonised by the patriarchy. Tragic exes have left me because I didn't look perfect. Well, actually I do, babe. And it's you that didn't look perfect. Thank you very much, you red flag. But it's as if stretch marks are bad. Like we believe cellulite is bad. None of these are bad. These are your imperfections. These are your beauty. And Christ alive, if somebody else says to me, you're not going to get your old body back, I am going to burst. Why is my old body more superior than a new body that has frankly been able to carry a baby through nine months of pregnancy, give birth, deliver and create a human? Why is a body, post-partner, post-pregnancy, less, less superior to that before? It's not. And honestly, the more you can choose to break away from this, choose self-compassion and improve your body image, the more peace and the more acceptance you have in yourself. I'm entirely grateful for the work I've done in my relationship with food and body image to get me through this chapter because frankly, if I'd have had these comments thrown at me, five, six years ago, I would have been battered. My best friend would have been getting voice notes of me bawling daily. <laughs> and I probably wouldn't have been able to get through it the way I have. So just 
yeah, just consider now and get curious. Curiosity is, is phenomenal. Get curious about your beliefs around other people's bodies, around your own body. And ask yourself, is that helpful or is that hindering? Is that coming from previous beliefs? Is that linked to the thin ideal? Is that linked to the exposure that you've had in society growing up? And is that helpful for you? You know? Okay, let's get started after my very hormonal rant. Apparently we're on one. <laughs> um, first question. What are your thoughts on morning routines? <clears throat> now. Okay, so. Th there's a few morning routines that I see. A few categories, should we say, of morning routines. There's the category that put it all over Instagram. So I'm getting up and I'm doing half an hour of yoga and then I'm doing 15 minutes of meditation and then I'm doing a nice bath and then I'm going to sit with my herbal tea and then I'm going to journal for 45 minutes um, and then I'm going to have a delightful bath and I'm going to moisturize my body and then I'm going to be ready for work. Well, I'm sorry, babe, but unless you're waking up at 3 a.m., it's not possible. The other category of morning routines are these that claim that it supports your structure and your routine. And to that, I do believe to an extent. My thoughts on morning routines are, as humans, we do thrive on structure and routine. And it is really, really optimal for productivity, reducing procrastination. However, there is no set morning routine. However, with a lot of the clients that I work with who are mums, working full-time, also in the pinnacle of their career, perimenopausal, menopausal, and also going through life changes potentially. One of the biggest things that I've noticed with clients is that they struggle to meet their own needs struggle to find joy in life and struggle to do, thing, do things for themselves. You know, people pleasers. So outwardly at service to everybody around them, work, peers, um, family, dependents, without recognition of what they need. So one of the things that I like to say with morning routines is it could be a chance for you to start the day in a way that benefits you. So that could look like getting up and sitting down for 10 minutes with just a coffee for you. And every day you do that. It could look like if you've got children, asking your husband to help with getting them ready for school while you go for a walk for 10 minutes around the block. It could look like getting up and spending five minutes setting your intentions and five minutes making your breakfast. Like I know for me, my morning routine is get up, make myself a coffee and go for a walk. That's what I do every morning. And I know I'm very privileged that I can do that. And I know that that will change. But sometimes that walk is 10 minutes. Sometimes that walk is 60 minutes. But either way, I'm getting up and I'm taking my coffee with me and I'm not on my phone. And for me, that starts the day off right for me. So I do believe to an extent morning routines are super beneficial, mainly for the structure, mainly for some routine but in particular for doing something at the start of your day for yourself before you're at service to the entire world. 
to meet your needs and to have a little bit of joy in your day, which is why I talk so openly and regularly about joy. And it doesn't have to be significant, huge financial strains, right? It can be something so simple. Like for me, seeing my dog run around and having the first sip of my morning coffee, now anyway, is so joyful for me, especially when it's really cold outside. (laughs) Because I can feel it warm in my entire bones. Like that's joy for me. So then asking yourself, okay, what does my morning currently look like? Is it very erratic? Am I getting up late? Am I squashing my alarm four times? And then am I rushing about all day? And there is some research out there. If we start the day off, should we say, speeding our time, then that's going to reduce your productivity, increase your procrastination, and you'll find you'll be forever chasing your tail all day. So yeah, there's absolutely something to be said for a morning routine, but it's subjective and individual. Right, okay. Do you have to take a break from taking creatine? At some point, do you have to increase your dose? No, no. Basically. Um, Creatine monohydrate. It's the only research-backed supplement. So creatine phosphate is found in our muscle mass. It's one of our energy sources, but it's only produced in very small amounts. Supplementing with creatine monohydrate can help not only with your energy performance, but it can help with muscle mass development. It can help with recovery. It can help with strength. But amazingly as well, there is also an ever-growing body of research to suggest that it helps with cognition, which is why perimenopause and menopausal women should also be taking creatine. And of course, we know Going through the menopause, we see a reduction in estrogen, which we then see a reduction in lean tissue, muscle mass. So if we are taking creatine, doing an amount of resistance training and eating enough protein, this is really going to help retain as much lean mass as possible, which is going to help with your metabolic health and mitigate some anabolic resistance as we age. I recommend taking creatine, three grams for a female, five grams for a male. That's it. I know you don't need to take a break at all from it. It, like I say to people, if you're going on holiday, then you don't need to take it. But if, you, if you've if you got room to put it in your case, put it in your case. But like, if you don't take it, that's fine. And then you just go back to taking it. And no, you don't have to increase your dose. Um, there's only so much that your body can saturate. Um, okay. With there being so many natural or herbal remedies out there, What should we be looking for in reputable products and companies? When should I consider taking a supplement for something? You know, this is one of my biggest bugbears. Biggest bugbears. Because, you know, there are supplements out there that will literally tell you that they will solve so much or boost something or or boost your immune system by taking this shot um or balance your hormones by taking this supplement right in reality natural or herbal remedies out there they're primarily a placebo there is very limited research around herbal remedies 
and natural remedies. There is some in terms of menopause, but again, the conclusion was a placebo. So if you believe that you're taking something to help something, then it's likely that your body will then react in a certain way. Reputable products and companies, even down to Holland and Barrett, you'll see adverts now on the radio. I heard one yesterday. Come into Holland and Barrett and speak to one of our um, members of staff about potions that you should be taking. 99% of them are not qualified. You don't need a qualification to work in Holland and Barrett. I think this, some, this comes from some scarcity. And in reality, you can get enough vitamins and minerals from your diet. There are some that I do recommend taking. But when people are taking greens, powders, and what's that other one? Oh, there was that, it's like 80 pound a month. And there were so many big fitness influencers claiming they were taking it. Oh, I can't remember what it was called now, but anyway. But it was basically like vegetables in a powder. Why are you not just eating vegetables? When we're looking at the research behind optimal gut health, behind digestion, behind health and well-being, we're looking at a Mediterranean-style diet, eating around 30 plants per week, but managing stress, making sure you're getting enough sleep, making sure you're getting exposure to sunlight, moving your body however now we try and find a supplement for everything a supplement for sleep a supplement for stress a supplement for your gut health and actually realistically speaking the only supplements you really need if you don't eat enough fatty fish in the week is omega-3 and i mean two portions if you don't eat two portions of fatty fish like salmon per week you need an omega-3. I recommend everybody in the UK takes vitamin D because we don't get enough of the UI contact from sunlight and a lot of us work indoors. If you are a vegetarian or a vegan, you may need iron. You may need a vitamin B12. Creatine, of course, like I just said. But outside of that, your doctor will tell you if you are deficient in a vitamin and mineral and then they will recommend supplementation. Not going to Holland and Barrett and taking a supplement that guarantees to improve your gut. How about eating 30 grams of dietary fiber per day? A variety of food in your diet, getting enough protein in, slowing down your pace of eating, really honoring the taste, the texture, chewing your food. Because all of this, and if you're eating in a stressed state, it's gonna have so many implications on digestion and then you don't feel great and it's easier to go and buy a supplement than to acknowledge behaviors right what are fodmaps and should i consider this when thinking about identifying foods that may be a trigger for painful abdominal pain and bloating amongst other symptoms if so how can i try to eat a varied diet whilst identifying trigger food so FODMAP stands for fermental, oh, I can never say these words, fermental 
oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols, which are basically short-chain carbohydrates. And the small intestine absorbs these in a not-so-beneficial manner. So with these, some people may experience digestive distress after eating them. And the five FODMAPs are fructose, and we don't, and that tends to be like high fructose corn syrup that we don't really get in the UK. Dairy, um, fructans, so like wheat, onions, garlic, um, legumes such as beans, lentils, soybeans, and polyols. So sugar, alcohols, and fruits that have pits or seeds, so apples, avocados, cherries, figs, peach, peach plum. I would never, ever, ever, ever recommend a low FODMAP diet to anybody unless you are under a registered dietitian because it is one of the hardest diets to follow it is not sustainable and in reality it's about trial and error if you've got painful abdominal if you've got really bad painful abdominal pain and it's recognizing then everything else that's going off as well as the triggers so keeping a diary Keeping a diary of everything that you're eating, which the majority of you will have because you'll be tracking in one form or another, and then noting any pain that comes up. But on said diary, because you will need this as well when you see a registered dietitian, if this is something that is persistent, keeping a note of menstrual cycle changes, keeping a note of stress and being honest with stress, stress management, emotions, busyness, you know, like how much is your output? Um, did I say menstrual cycle changes? If I didn't, menstrual cycle changes. Um, any illness, any underlying illness or any sort of injury that your body is going through and then keeping a diary. So I ate this at this time, this at this time, when was my pain? And then you can start to draw a correlation when you've got it written down in front of you instead of just removing certain foods. Say like if you had lunch and then all of a sudden you had really bad pain it's not necessarily to do with your lunch digestion can take anything from 10 hours to 48 hours but we can instantly draw a correlation back to that and then keeping this varied diet that you are increasing but keeping this diary alongside it and I think there's also worth noting here that if you're increasing your dietary fiber because we've all just come out of Christmas and we ate a little bit more palatable foods and now you're getting in more complex carbohydrates it could just be that your gut is digesting these and at the minute it just feels a little bit painful if it is bent over chronic pain on the brink of tears i would recommend seeing your gp because and if it's loose bowels that could indicate an allergy um so it could be like an allergy to dairy as an example or somewhat intolerant to dairy um but I would never go and get an intolerance test because they've run off. So yeah, FODMAPs are basically short chain carbohydrates that the small intestine cannot absorb correctly. We all eat them and that's absolutely fine. Some people do notice through changes, through chapters that they can have an increase in bloating an increase in gas and increase in pain. Check in with where your stress management is at. Check in with your pace of eating. Are you chewing your food? Are you creating space to eat your food without distraction? Are you moving your body enough? And keeping a diary of everything you're eating and recognizing any 
painful painful like times that come up and then drawing correlation to trigger so you might notice on a day that you have cow's milk that you have pain but on a day that you have milk alternative you don't a day that you have higher legumes beans lentils you have pain but a day without them you don't and it could well be that that day's just got greater higher greater fiber so if you're eating like 60 70 grams of fiber which i once had a client do i was like this is ludicrous um then it might be about just reducing that slightly unless you have a food allergy then you don't ever look to remove this food but you just look to slowly reduce it and keep it so it's a moderate intake for you is it unusual to love a bigger version of yourself more so you'd say so i'd say guessing as not weighed myself i'm around three to five kilos heavier than i was let's say 12 to 18 months ago <laughs> but i actually prefer it but sometimes think that's wrong and i shouldn't prefer it I prefer it because I'm happier and more aware and content in life. Sometimes you think that you shouldn't prefer it because you're told by diet culture that you shouldn't prefer it. And what you're doing here is not only phenomenal because you've done an insane amount of work and it's absolutely beautiful to see this and read this and hear this about you. And you are an absolute angel. But you're not subscribing to diet culture any longer. You're not subscribing to the thin ideal and the work you have done on your body image, getting to a place of acceptance, getting to a place of flexibility, but getting to a place where you recognize that your body is so insignificant in this world, you're able to openly love her, openly appreciate her. And actually, because you're no longer consumed by your body, you're no longer consumed by your weight, then this has helped you shockingly find more interesting things in life outside of your body and we know with the self-objectification world we live in society proposes that women are objects or routinely evaluated based on their looks and this leads to so many people people holding their complete self-worth on their body image and that follows with very negative behaviors towards nutrition exercise and it can lead to dysfunctional and disordered eating behaviors and a negative body image. And hyper-focusing on body image and striving for control, we know is linked to low levels of self-worth, extremism followed to try and control how you look, extreme diets, restriction, exercise. And it all links back to the self-objectification theory, the patriarchal messaging. And it's actually been shown in research that those who are in weight loss seeking groups who are preoccupied with their weight and shape are more likely to regain their weight in comparison to those who devalue it. And you've devalued it here. And devaluing it is recognizing and appreciating the functionality of your body with a flexible and open heart. And genuinely, that's where everybody needs to get to. Like this angel is an inspiration. And of course, there is something to be said that if you're carrying higher levels of body fat and that's not optimal for your health, then it's acknowledging what health means to you, right? But in this particular instance, this angel, she's in a body that she feels comfortable in, at a weight that is healthy for her. And the acceptance of that is actually allowing her to love her body 
And this is what I was saying at the beginning of the podcast. Had I not done the same work as this legend, I wouldn't have been able to accept my body actively gaining weight now. A wild appetite that I have. No, it would have been so challenging. So challenging. And yeah, it's no longer subscribing to diet culture and to the messaging that is put on all of us. All of us about weight and shape, right? And it's it's so important. So important. Um, How long should I wait to do a stretching routine after training and why? So, okay, when we are training and when we are, it's brutal. So when we're doing resistance training, we're creating small little micro tears within our muscles, which in essence is ripping the muscles. This is required in order to stimulate what's known as muscle protein synthesis with the uptake of protein and then grow and repair your muscles to then see the progression. If you are stretching before a training session, you're exposing those those muscles because you're like literally lengthening them. And then what we're trying to do is contract them under progressively overloading. So you're at risk of injury. And the same goes to be said post-exercise, post-resistance training. So these muscles are now contracted. So they're quite tight. And you've probably noticed that you come out of a training session. I mean, you've all been moaning that my training sessions are brutal, but you know, I want the best for you. Um, they're contracted. Then if you're trying to lengthen them, you're potentially at risk of injury and potentially going to diminish the ability for that muscle to recover and repair optimally. So I say if you want to stretch and you want to do it on the same day that you're training, stretch in the morning, train at night, train in the morning, stretch at night, try and keep some hours apart from it. Because that way you're allowing the muscle to really optimally go through the growth repair recovery process without potentially creating any exposure to injury later on. And I think that is it. Yeah, that's it. So there's quite a lot, quite a few diverse questions there, which is amazing. If I've covered anything that you have more questions about, please drop me a message. And as always, if you have any further questions or anything you're unsure about, I'm here. Thanks so much for tuning in.